Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. I think we're living through a period in which uh, Christian belief is for many proving implausible, maybe for some impossible. And the cultural political moment, I think for many seems to have exhausted the possibility for some of even keeping the faith, maybe because of personal injuries, injustices suffered, because of the underbelly of the exposure of religion gone bad. And I'm just sort of seeing this unfold all around me among my former students and friends and acquaintances. And I think I understand their turn from the faith. Maybe I'm even stronger than that. I feel what they're feeling. Christian complicity in racism, in religious nationalism, in deadly stupidity, combined with the loss of trust in church institutions, and maybe the personal wounds inflicted by the same, it is invoking a crisis, a kind of generation-wide crisis. Maybe at a more basic level, there is a huge question mark put in front of God's love, God's control, God's providence, and a feeling that the Christian message is implausible. Maybe it's irrelevant. Maybe it seems inconsequential. If ever there were someone who understood and dealt with a similar crisis of faith, it would be Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who I brought up last week. And partly due to his work with German counterintelligence, that is, he knew what was happening in Germany, he was aware the church was living through its complete failure. What we would call the Holocaust, what the Jews call the Shoah, in which six million Jews are slaughtered. And it was a period in which the church and Christians had not only failed, but they had in part enabled the final solution. And he thus calls for a new form of the faith. We talked about last week, religionless Christianity. Christian anti-Semitism was the basis of German and national socialist anti-Semitism. And that's one reason Bonhoeffer felt he no longer, he thought, could speak the name of God and be understood. Bonhoeffer would propose then his religionless form of the faith, really in what he considered the end of Western Christianity. And you could understand why he might think that. In his religionless Christianity, he proposes notions like there is a cheap grace that is sold on the market and the true costly grace calls for true discipleship. He talks about an obedient faith, the need for personal choice, the rejection of institutionalism and German idealism. Now, in many of these things, he's following another thinker, and his name is Soren Kierkegaard, who, from a different century, 
He had faced a complete collapse of trust in the institutions of the church. And he had turned not to reform so much as an abandonment of Christianity as he knew it. And both Bonhoeffer and Kierkegaard speak of a costly grace that bids one come and suffer and die with Christ as opposed to this kind of cheap triumphalist Christianity that presumes, oh, Christianity means that I will prosper. It means my own personal comfort, my own security as part of the faith. And the idea that may best sum up both thinkers in their relationship to other people and their understanding of Christianity in spite of the failure and complete absence of the church and authentic Christianity, they're going to talk about the notion of Christ's immediate mediating power of love in the life of the Christian. Both turn to existential experience of the individual. Now this may sound a little bit wrong when I say it, but they're both going to tie this in to an understanding of a community of the saved. But they see the need for Christ to stand in immediate relationship to I as the mediator of God, of self, of the world in loving relationship. And so it's not the institutional church and notice the word institutional. They still believed in the church it's not the clergy, it's Christ within the individual, which they will both relate to the community. But a reworked understanding of what that means. It is the perception, their perception of the self and the world where they see Christ mediates. And I can just say this in short, and we'll turn to 1 John. They see that we're enabled to love. And so if we're to sum up, you know, what is this New Testament Christianity about? It is that through Christ we're enabled to love. And this is 1 John. Let's read 1 John. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And so we find a distinction between the true love of God that John is describing and then Paul is going to also describe love. He's going to talk about a human love. We might call it a psychic love. 
in 1 Corinthians, he said, well, it may be that I lay down my life, that I commit my body to the flames. It may surpass genuine Christian love in its devotion, in its visible results. It may speak the Christian language and sound like Christian love, but not be Christian love, Paul is saying. What Paul is speaking of when he says, even if I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, in other words, though I combine the greatest deeds of love, the utmost devotion, and he says, and I have not charity, and he means here the idea of the love of Christ, he says, it profiteth me nothing. This is 1 Corinthians 13, 3. So this psychic or human love is directed to the other person for the one's own sake. It's shaped by that person. Spiritual love that John and Paul are describing, it loves for Christ's sake, that it is, it's shaped by Christ. And so look at 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient. Love is kind, it is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account wrongs suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so there is this human psychic love. It has little regard for the truth. It makes the truth relative. Since nothing, not even the truth, must become between it and the beloved person. Jesus says, I am the truth. You know, two definitions for God, the truth and love. Spiritual love, Paul tells us, rejoices in the truth. It's the same thing. Psychic love desires the other person, his company, his answering love, but it does not serve him. And maybe the true test, telling the difference. I believe that psychic love cannot love an enemy. If psychic love is your understanding of love, loving the enemy is impossible. And maybe that's kind of a relief because if you've been trying to love your enemy through a love other than that of Christ, I think it's a, an impossibility. We just can't be affectionate toward our enemies. To love the enemy requires a quality of love that can forgive and affirm in an enemy and it can do so even while our psychic love, maybe we feel hate, despise the person, Maybe we try to demean the person, but we can get beyond that. Psychic love makes itself an end in itself. Why do you love? You love because you love to love. It creates of itself an idol, an end which it worships, to which it must subject everything. It nurses and cultivates an ideal. It loves itself and nothing else in the world. Spiritual love, however, comes from Jesus Christ. This is the point of Christ. 
It serves Him alone. It knows that it has no immediate access to persons other than through Christ. Psychic love produces human subjection, dependence, constraints. Spiritual love, I believe, creates freedom for the other person. Freedom of the brethren under the word. Spirit love is entirely natural. It's in, in accord with the world, in accord with the cosmos. Spirit love, I believe, is our true nature. This is what we were made for. We don't have to achieve it. We do not have to invent it. We only have to let it loose in Christ. And if we plant even a small seed of spirit love in the good soil of our actual lives, it will grow. It will grow in the storms as well as the gentle rains. Spirit love is indestructible. It's strong. This is what Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians 13. He says there's one thing that is never going to cease, and this is love. Every other form of love passes away. It comes and goes, or perhaps it turns even into malice. But spirit love never fails, never goes away, never becomes anything other than its own enduring goodness. And so this is why God is love, and true love is God. This is why this is made possible in Christ. The God-man, Christ, he unites us in the unity or love of God, but it's given to us individually. How could it not be? Christ lives for us as the one in whom God unites himself with an individual human being. I think we can say salvation, love. Love is salvation. Salvation is love. Is only in and through Christ. The eternal truth of God is only communicated to humanity in and through the person of Christ rather than because of the person of Christ. Do you hear the difference? That is, in love we meet Christ. We don't meet something about Christ. We don't meet some propositions about Christ. But we meet Christ himself. Since Christ is the truth, you do not find out from him what truth is in some secondary sense. And then you're kind of left to yourself. But you remain in the truth only by remaining in him. And so to love is to encounter him and remain in him. We may have all sorts of propositions about love, but this, this is very different than being loving and being in love. This is because the Christian faith involves more than the possession, you know, being informed of right doctrine, of propositions. I'm not saying that's not important, but sometimes we just reduce it to the propositions about God. It involves participation in an intersubjective relationship with God. God is for us. And Paul says, if God is for you, who can be against you? So the God-man is the truth. And in all of this, I'm describing the thought of both Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Soren Kierkegaard. Kierkegaard says it is by being given to share in this relationship, made possible 
through God's presence with humanity and Christ that a person's mind is renewed in and through which he can know God or love in truth. And so the primary function of revelation is to enable a person to know God in the context of relationship, a relationship of love. The primary object of revelation is God himself, not something about God, not propositions. The primary purpose of revelation is making possible a loving relationship with God and others. And in this sense, God cannot be an object for man. God is the subject. In short, God cannot be known by the alienated subject. God is not a data point or a fact to be appropriated. God is love. So divine truth is not simply possessed by the mind. Rather the truth and our access to it, our understanding of it, is identified with the person of Christ. He is both the truth and the way to the truth. And I'm quoting here Kierkegaard. In the moment of decision, faith then is to cross over into relationship. I believe that's why faith saves. If the Christian is not willing to trust her faith to the reality of God, then we don't have Christianity. The Christian is called to believe that her faith in God is not simply a product of her own belief, but God himself has given us this faith. We're called to believe, and we cannot believe without the one in whom we believe. Christ is our faith. He is the gift of faith and the one who, through whom we have faith. And then John concludes, verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Where is the work of the Holy Spirit? Oh, we've just described it. We've described this spiritual love as over and against a kind of psychic love or reality. In the community of the spirit, there is this bright love of brotherly service, what is called agape love, the love of God. In the spirit, God's word alone is binding. In the human or psychic, besides the word, men bind others to themselves. In the spirit, all power, honor, and dominion are surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Now, maybe, you know, this gets confusing because there's very devout people. You know, people begin with great good ideals in mind. And it ends in great ugliness. Do you all remember Jim and Tammy Baker? I sort of have them in mind. You know, maybe they begin with some very good ideas in mind. They really wanted to just help children. And of course, the more successful they became, the more money they got, the greater their greed. It just goes so terribly wrong. But it's not to say they may not have had very good intentions in the beginning. In the spiritual realm, the spirit governs. In the human community, psychological techniques, you know, methods prevails. Maybe there's a kind of naivete, an unpsychological, unmethodological, helping love. 
that we extend toward our brother. So I think in one, the service of one's brother and sister can be very humble, very simple. In the other, it can be kind of calculating. The psychic processes pointed to with the word love, I'm not, we don't need to disparage that completely. Bonhoeffer, he's not denigrating this entirely. It's just a kind of reality. But we need to move out of that reality when we're talking about the love of God. You know, there's desire for friendship. There's desire for sexual union. There's delight in the qualities of others. We don't deny that, but we recognize that's not complete. That's not true love. And Bonhoeffer insists that spirit love is simple. It is simple, like giving the thirsty a drink. It's simple like providing a sick person with care. It's simple like Jesus' story with the blind Bartimaeus, giving sight to the blind. It's like visiting a criminal locked away from society. And so this spirit love serves the other at a spiritual level, as well as physical and psychological levels. It's included in that. But even on the spirit level, the service is simple, straightforward. It's not manipulative. It's not calculating. It's not from a haughty position of, you know, like a healthy therapist and the sick client. But from a humble position of one human person helping another. And so spirit community is mediated through Christ. It's not immediate but it's mediated each person involved in the communal relation must pass through the mediator through Christ before reaching another person really even before reaching ourselves that means that the relation is comprised of the fact both parties are forgiven and welcomed on the same basis And this makes the community spiritual, equal. Not the desire each may have or may not have for one another. Not the delight that we may each have or may not take in one another. Not the personal force of, you know, our personality that we may or may not possess. All spiritual connection needs is Christ. Maybe this becomes clearest in Kierkegaard's depiction of despair. Despair occurs when we attempt to be our own mediators. And he describes four kinds of despair. I won't go into this. But he's saying in all four types of despair, the problem is we're trying an immediate relationship to ourselves, And we really can't have an immediate relationship to ourselves. Despair, he says, is a sickness in the spirit, in the self in which there is a kind of refusal or failure to be a self. And the relation can be constructed or constituted in a negative unity. You know, I believe this is what Paul means when he talks about the body of sin. He says, I do what I don't want to do. And what, you know, in other words, he's trying to relate himself to himself, and he can't even relate himself to himself. That is, the self is constituted by another. And so we recognize that even in our own relationship, we have a total dependence of the relation to the other. 
that we can't in ourselves obtain equilibrium or rest but we only come to relate properly to ourselves to other people in being related to God and this is the understanding even self-love I believe is mediated by Christ and so the church triumphant the religious version of the faith I think it's the great failure of Western Christianity. I think it's a failure that we're passing through. It's the failure that Kierkegaard experienced, that Bonhoeffer experienced. It's a part of the same failure. And in the midst of this failure, both Bonhoeffer and Kierkegaard envisioned the emergence of a new form of the faith. While he never has the opportunity to spell this out, Bonhoeffer, he's writing in his notebooks. He's awaiting his execution. He knows they're going to hang him. Well, what's he busy doing? He's busy thinking about the love of God. And even the day they hang him, the doctor who sees him says he knelt and prayed, and he says, don't worry about me. He says, this is only the beginning for me. And then he walked up the gallows, and he was home. In Christ, God's self-revelation overcomes the I. In Christ, we are brought Bonhoeffer says, to the boundary of the being that has been given to us, and it is only here, through the God who became human, that we become human. Divine and human, he says, are not two isolated realities, as God's vertical word from above neither adds nor subtracts, but it qualifies this entire human being as God. He means Christ. Jesus Christ becomes God for us and we become fully human in faith in Christ. He does a series of lectures on Christology. He says, I can never think of Jesus Christ in his being in himself, but only in his relatedness to me. I think that's right. We know who Christ is in faith, in love, in relatedness. At the same time, Christ is my limit, the boundary of my being, my true center. As the one, 1 Corinthians 8, 6, he refers to, through whom all things exist and through whom we exist. He is the mediator of every relationship with the Creator. And so in conclusion, I think the way forward in this time of crisis. Maybe the way this time of crisis is pointing us is to the re realization that Christ only wants us to become, as Bonhoeffer says, the human beings that we really are. He says pretension, hypocrisy, compulsion, forcing oneself to be something different, better, more ideal than one is, all are abolished. The realization is that we can only become truly human before God through the mediation of Christ in apprehending all things in the love of Christ. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. If you have questions about what you've heard, 
or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org.